Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, I just want to mention that there is some potentially foul language in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Okay, let's get into it. In my mind, there's a 99% chance no one's going to buy off me for the rest of the day. But if I switched the script in my mind and said, okay, I've spoken to 90 people today, so far no one's bought, that means the only people that are left or ones oh, I could potentially buy, nice. totally changed okay, my mindset. Yeah. And then when I was at the door speaking to the customer, there'd be something about me on top of my pitch that would resonate with them. Wow. Now, I'm not saying that if you're in a bad attitude, you can never sell anything. Right. But anyone that's been in sales can testify that a positive mental attitude equals other people's money in this industry. Welcome back to the So Far podcast, the podcast where we interview uh, various guests of various industries, uh, careers, positions, um, and the goal of it is to just inspire uh, those who are listening, all of you who are listening, uh, whether you're just starting or you're somewhat into it, like about three years into your career or business. Um, I think uh, people who uh, are have also gone through uh, the the rough early starts of it, uh, of their career and their business, um, who are also still very much in the trenches, can provide a lot of uh, experience uh, and, uh, you know, some some tips, some things to avoid, and really just uh, inspire you guys who are listening. And uh, today on the show, we have uh, David, who is, among lots of things, an entrepreneur, a salesman. Uh, he works here at Epicator, and I'll just get him to introduce himself a little bit more. Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me on your show, Anton. Thank you for being on the show. Hi, I'm David Ahola. I'm the founder and CEO of Epicator. Uh, we're a food and beverage solution provider equipped to service companies that get ongoing catering uh, for their staff mainly and also for their events. Um, yeah, so glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for being on the show. Um, you know, it's uh, it's cool being in, in your office, a uh, nice uh, open space, uh, open concept uh, office for those who are listening. I guess you guys can't see it but um yeah it's nice uh we're sort of on the slight west end of, of toronto uh how are you guys liking it here oh so far so good yeah. uh what we find is majority of our clientele is centralized in downtown toronto so right usually as we've progressed and grown as a company most of our office spaces have uh been in the central core mm -hmm. um it's easier for everyone to visit their clients more often right. and uh it's also really central and easy for people to get here mm -hmm. and i would imagine that uh, a lot of uh your clients uh, uh, who are business clients would be in the business district uh, in the Bay and, and King area, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yes. And you guys aren't too, you know, just a stone's throw away from there. Yes, you have to have a s strong arm for that stone yeah, throw. Yeah, oh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> um, yes, I, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, um, it, is, it is quite nice in here, uh, those who can't see it. Um, so uh, why don't you explain a little bit about how you got started in uh, in you know, uh, I guess first start off with uh, the story of um, of, of Epicator uh, and, and how it came to be. Uh, I wish I had a really cool story. I'll try to make it as cool as possible. Uh, essentially, once upon a time, I have uh, was a salesperson in a series of previous other startups. I always wanted to start my own business at some point. I didn't know what that business was going to be, uh, but I always been, it was always in the back of my mind as my career progressed. Um, I worked for a large company right before this one as the previous startups that I did work for unfortunately didn't go very far. Mm -hmm. I think the statistic is nine out of 10 of them fail. And 
I was yeah. picking all the failing ones, oh. <laughs> but you know, jokes aside, I, yeah. I learned quite a bit from every single one of those mm-hmm. experiences. So if I could go back in time, I definitely would. It's built me to the person I am mm-hmm. today. But nonetheless, I went through a period of time where I was like, okay, startups aren't working. Maybe I should work for a large corporation again. Mm-hmm. As you can probably imagine, that was not the solution yeah. to my problems. <laughs> um, I started reading a book called The Lean Startup. And mm-hmm. one thing that that book really came across to me, or at least one major point was, is that you don't need a ton of capital to, to build a minimal viable product. You can actually start that right away and get that into your customers' hands and get opinions from your customers. I had always thought that I'd have to squirrel away uh, a sum of money and then use that sum of money on a project, but uh, it turns out that you don't. So while I was working at this large organization, I was secretly building uh, my future company. At the time, um, when Epicator was first conceived, Mm -hmm. we knew my co-founder and I at the time, which is another interesting story as Mm -hmm. things progress because they're no longer here at the company, but at the time we wanted to create a service that helped improve the employee engagement at that company. And we didn't want to do it from that tacky, business consulting approach. Mm-hmm. We want to actually create a service or a product that actually did it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a little lost as to what that service or product would be. We noticed that a lot of uh, good cultured companies, if you may, uh, did something called giving away an employee meal experience or uh, providing a staff lunch for all their teams. We thought that there must have been something there, at least mm-hmm. statistically speaking. Mm-hmm. So we figured, well, maybe there's a better way of deploying um, a perk like staff meals that doesn't just have to come from one caterer. Mm-hmm. We started doing more market research. Truth be told, we realized at that time that this wasn't a new idea, that there were actually a few companies in the States that were oh, okay. doing this quite successfully. So we're like, hey, well, that might be a little bit of validation right there. Yeah, yeah. I recall reading once upon a time that if there is no competitors in your market, that's probably for yeah. a reason. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that we saw quite a bit in the States and very little over here, we figured that maybe there's something to it. Um, as a traditional salesperson, I don't come with a marketing background, so I didn't do a ton of market research. What I did instead is I developed a list of 100 leads, uh, that being 100 companies that I thought in Toronto might subscribe to a service such as ours, which at the time was fictitious. Uh, During my lunch break, what I would do is while everyone else would go and grab lunch and chat with amongst each other is uh, there was an abandoned floor in our building Mm -hmm. that I'd take the elevator to and I would just spend my entire lunch making calls on those leads. And I figured that if the law of averages were good, i.e. if one out of 10 companies that I called would actually try out a service like that I was selling, which was fictitious at the time because mm-hmm. we didn't even have a business name, right. that maybe there's something there. And lo and behold, uh, we got quite a good uh, response from the calls I was making. Mm-hmm. So there was something definitely there. Uh, we got much more serious about the business at that time, um, registered it, started looking for vendors. So that way when we do secure our first customer, we can actually service them because mm-hmm. we didn't have the vendor partners at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then something miraculous happened to me, which at the time didn't feel miraculous, is the company found out what I was doing and fired me. Ah, yes. Yes. And you know what? I Looking back, I don't blame them at all. They were going through an existential crisis as an organization. And anyone here that's ever gone through an existential crisis, even as a person, you don't want people around you that... Uh, yeah, are trying to leave you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe you don't feel like the full support. So, you know, exactly. it makes sense that if... Uh, Got to cut those people out of your life yeah, sometimes, right? Yeah. So I was one of those people cut out of the lives of that organization. And why it was such an awesome thing is it proverbially build, burned all my ships, if you may. So I had two options. I could either look for another job doing the same thing or with what little money I had saved up, 
my runway, which was, I think at the time, just two and a half weeks before I was completely broke, is put 100% of my efforts into Epicator wow. and see how fast I could build it and where it can go. And well, um, I chose option B. Wow, two and a half weeks. Well, I guess you owe uh, a lot of this to that uh, abandoned floor in the building. Then, uh, you right? know what? Technically, I do. Yes. Technically, I do. Yes. Um, so uh, you you seem to have like a very, uh, uh, I guess, self-starter kind of spirit. Has that always been been with you? You always been that kind of you know personality to to want to. Um, uh, be like a go-getter type of person? Uh, you know what? I don't think I was always like that. Uh, growing up as a kid, I was more of a joker and I really didn't put much serious thought into my future. Mm -hmm. I developed that start self-starter mentality uh, working at a door-to-door -door company and realizing that I don't necessarily have to get paid just for my time, that if I put the effort and energies into finding lucrative opportunities, in a way I can hack the system and not mm -hmm. take the traditional route, mm -hmm. And um, that really inspired me to look outside the box as just a traditional career path. Mm -hmm. um, what really started my self-starter mentality was reading uh, quite a bit of self-help books mm -hmm. and biographies from other individuals that were way more self-starter than I was and seeing where that got them. And I kind of, in a way, I think, developed that self-starter spirit over time. Oh, okay. And so were you, uh, is it, you, you mentioned uh, that you had uh, worked for this door-to-door uh, -door, uh, company. How old were you at that time? Uh, I think at the time I was 18 or 19. That was okay. my first major gig outside of high school. Okay. I graduated not knowing what I wanted to do. And uh, right after high school, I worked at a warehouse and I realized that's not what I want to do. And then out of sheer desperity, because um, unfortunately, and fortunately, I was let go from that warehouse job because I wasn't very good at picking orders. Yes. Um, I worked at a commission-only phone sales company what attracted me about them is that they hired me right away without doing much of an interview. Oh, okay. And I could get paid on my sales the day of, which was extremely helpful when you're behind on your rent. So right. I was like, well, there's no other options here at the moment. And other people here are making money. Perhaps I can learn this really quickly and do the same right. thing. Okay. And wait, so this this was you selling phones to people? This or? was selling promotional products over the phones, like hats, jackets, oh, okay, pens, sorry. mugs, anything with that company I was talking to with their logo on it. Oh, and my job okay. was to sell them a story as to what they could do with these products with their logo on it. Okay. Um, and to this very day, it's, it's still around. I'm sure everyone here has seen a jacket, mug, pen with someone else's name on it. Yep. That was sold to the company by a salesperson. Oh, okay. So I guess it's some, somewhat similar to like a telesales, telemarketing Job, Correct. Right? Yeah, that's what it was. Commission okay. only. Okay, commission, pure commission. Okay, interesting. All right. Um, and uh, like, as you know, as a as a teen or as a, as a kid, were you like entrepreneurial at all, or like you know, describe a little bit of your upbringing? So uh, a little bit of my upbringing as a teen, I guess I was industrious. Like I I wasn't afraid of hard work. Mm -hmm. um, what I was afraid of was monotonous work. Mm. Um, I'm a little ADHD, so I can't. I have a hard time doing. I have a hard time getting the discipline of doing the same thing over and over again, mm -hmm. which I realize is still crucial in this day and age. Right. Um, every self-starter needs that partner or that team that can do the monotonous mm -hmm. things. That is what makes a business run. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was never good at that. Right. But what kind of helped with it was just reading a lot about human psychology and analyzing myself and realizing at that age and even at this age that um, my attitude, mine and myself is like, in a weird way, almost like clay. Mm -hmm. And as long as I'm aware that I can mold it into whatever I want it to, I can create the person I want to become. Right. And that's what really inspired me 
at a young age is right. being able to mold myself and iron out all the bad habits I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, still have some of them to this day. So right, we're of course, to iron we all out. do, yeah. But uh, realizing I can create whoever I want to be, whatever David I want to be in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that the person I created was a entrepreneurial individual five, six, seven years down the road. Wow, excellent. And, um, you know, I want to go to... Uh, what did your your family and your your friends, the, the people close to you, uh, uh, think when you decided to to make that jump uh, in that two week time period? Because I, I, you know, people listening to this might get feel a little bit of uh, secondhand nervousness from hearing that, and I don't blame them. <laughs> so, so what 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 was the reaction to that? Well, I'll give a little bit of context before I tell you the reaction because sadly there wasn't much of a reaction at all. Oh, okay. and that's because I've previously done. I guess risky ventures oh, okay. in the past uh, when I was working that commission only job right. in the three years at that door to door company which mm-hmm. was commission only as well mm-hmm. um, I had a lot of friends you know eh, not a lot a mm-hmm. few tell me that uh, the importance of going back to school and right. and getting a real job and yeah. I'm not gonna lie I uh, kind of uh, thought the same thing in the back of my mind I thought I was just gonna station myself there make s- some money and then go back to university but what I started to realize is that these I guess, long story short, majority of of people at the time, I realized, weren't very happy with what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They were pretending that they were happy. And I think the advice that they were giving me was coming from a good place. But I could read it off their faces that they're not even happy Mm -hmm. with the course they took. So I sat down with myself and I was like, well, if everyone's going in this direction and majority of them are not happy, maybe there's something about going in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. So you know when you do something, you get a positive indicator that what you're doing is right, Mm -hmm. which is always a good thing. I was doing the opposite. I was... I was taking the negative feedback I was getting from traditional feedback or advice. And I was saying to myself, well, if I'm getting that kind of feedback, it means I'm going in a totally different direction. So there's probably something in that direction that right. no one's discovering yet. So right. it was my way of, of, of knowing that I was in a wayward way going in the right direction. So by the time I made the decision to start Epicator, uh, my friends and family, it was nothing new to them. They already oh, okay. knew that, you know, I was eventually going to do something like this. Right. And maybe some of them were getting their couch prepared for me. So right. just in case yeah. those two weeks didn't uh, work out well, I had right. somewhere to sleep. So I, I really appreciate you guys. I that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you're ready to like set the precedent for, for everyone. Exactly. The exactly. So for all those listening, uh, guys, just uh, if you ever want to do something really risky in the future, uh, just set that precedent that you are a risky person, I guess. And people will leave you alone. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually when you do win, everyone will applaud you. And when you lose, people are like, no problem. Yeah. I'm used to seeing him lose anyways. <laughs> yeah. I guess because uh, at the end of the day, it's, you know, uh, you succeed or, or you don't. Um, uh, but it, the important thing is that, like, if it's you, then they're going to know that it's it's like, like, that's you who in in your the depths of your soul like that's who you are as a person exactly and you learn along the way um you learn things that no one else does because they're not willing to make that that risk Mm -hmm. or take up that challenge because i guess in in the minds of the average individual and there's nothing wrong with this um the reward is obviously awesome most people would love to be in a position like that but the risk scares the crap out of them and that's why they don't do it but Mm -hmm. if you just get comfortable i call them comfort zone challenges like the worst thing that can happen is you you lose and then when you realize that that's not even that bad of a deal what's important is what you learn from doing that and then you apply that to your next situation which you already know that and then it doesn't become if i win it becomes how many times do i have to lose before i win and then it's literally like a mathematical formula yeah it's like that um thomas edison quote i I didn't the uh, light bulb one yeah the light bulb one he's like i figured out 
like several thousand ways not to make a light bulb or something like that. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, excellent. Um, and so you seem uh, to be very much in like a sales kind of roles uh, here at Epicator, but also in your previous uh, position. Yes. Um, so what is it about sales that intrigues you? I know you mentioned um, the the fact that, you know, it's not just based down to the hours that you work, um, but, you know, if you work a little smarter, you can, uh, based off your commission, you can get generate um, more money. Uh, is it is it that or is it is there more to it? Uh, yeah. What is it about? There's definitely the, the financial component because mm -hmm. um, anyone that has been in sales or has a friend that's in sales that's doing well for themselves probably knows that it is a lucrative industry uh, to get themselves into. But I guess what originally allured me to sales is that for lack of a better way of summarizing it, you're making things happen that normally either are not supposed to happen or wouldn't happen before you made them happen in the first place. And what I mean by that is when I was doing door-to-door, -door, like one of my door-to-door -door roles was selling water coolers. Basic mm. product, uh, definitely not something you go to university for and tell your friends and family at Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> but I'd be amazed by how many times I'd go to a door and the first thing that would come out of someone's mouth is, I'm not interested, I don't buy at the door, mm -hmm. I don't need a water cooler. And then five minutes later, they're signing a one or two year contract to either lease or buy the cooler <laughs> and then their first delivery of water. And I always was to find that amazing. And it wasn't that I looked at it, but it was like, yeah, I got you to buy a water cooler. I find the psychology amazing. And I realized that I'm very much the same way. Mm -hmm. And that the product that I was selling at the time was basic. It was water served in a bottle that's dispensed by a cooler. But yeah. I was getting people to purchase that for some other large company, which at the time was, uh, can I say the name of the company? Uh, I mean, up to you. It's, it's, Cedar it's, Springs Water. I, it's a great product, by the way. I also have the cooler at home. But without the Cedar Springs direct sales force at the time, I, I don't think that they would have been able to build themselves up to where they are now because I don't know about you, Mr. or Mrs. Viewer, but uh, I don't know how many times buying a water cooler has crossed your mind. And uh, I'm oh. sure if someone came to your door, it wouldn't be the first thing you'd jump to, but you might just find yourself purchasing one if the right salesperson came by and being, and being happy with the purchase. And that's the important thing. Uh, a good salesperson will identify a need with that individual and sell them the right product. A bad mm. salesperson, in my opinion, will high pressure the customer into buying something they really don't need mm -hmm. or really don't want. And I think, unfortunately, it's those individuals that give salespeople a bad rap in general. Right. The, the whole um, used car salesman. Precisely. Uh, that, that persona of what can I do to get you in this car? Exactly. As opposed to what would be the best car for you? Or exactly. Or if you need a car. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow. Interesting. Uh, and so what would you say was your, your, um, biggest, uh, strength from, from your experience and, and also your personality that helped, uh, contribute to, uh, you know, being a good salesman, was it like the psychology? Positive mental attitude. Positive mental attitude. So that was the, I guess that was the takeaway from one of the many takeaways, but one of the stronger ones for my three years of working at that door-to-door -door company. Mm -hmm. And it sounds so cliche and I'm not talking about, you know, the secret. Uh, I'm more or less talking about maintaining a positive mental attitude throughout. And I, what I found amazing about that was, is if I went through my entire day of not getting a single sale, and it was eight o'clock and I have one more hour to work and I wore that on my face and I had that in my mind, there was a 99% chance no one's gonna buy off me for the rest of the day. But if I switched the script in my mind and said, okay, I've spoken to 90 people today, so far no one's bought, that means the only people that are left 
or ones oh, I could potentially buy nice. totally okay, changed my yeah, mindset. Yeah. And then when I was at the door speaking to the customer, there'd be something about me on top of my pitch that would resonate with them. Wow. Now, I'm not saying that if you're in a bad attitude, you can never sell anything, right. but anyone that's been in sales can testify that a positive mental attitude equals other people's money in this industry. Yeah, I don't generally want to buy from people who have a bad attitude. No, there's just so, something about them, right? Yeah, yeah, I, and I think, you know, that it's like you, you can't really lose with that attitude. I mean, yeah, you can not make a sale, but if you had a bad attitude, then you're definitely not gonna make a sale it's, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think what's really worked for me with that is it's not just something in sales that's helped, but it's something that when I come across any endeavor that mm -hmm. I try to be mindful of. Um, now, I'm not talking about creating a fake attitude because I think everyone can agree that uh, that's really distasteful. Anyone right. that's hung out with someone that's faking that they're happy. Right. It's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> but for um, apart from that, um, going through an endeavor and being able to do it in stride with a good attitude it's attractive to everyone else around them. Hmm. Like if you're, if you're stuck on an island trying to figure out a way to get off of it, you'd nine times out of 10 rather be stuck with the person that has hope that they can get yes. off of it and is in a good mood because yes, they know that day's coming than the defeatist that just beats themselves yeah, up true. over it all the time. Yeah, like a whole bunch of uh, survivalists and you know, I think uh, some of the great survivor shows, they always say that um, the, the best thing you can have apart from you know, whatever the tool is, like the greatest tool that you can have is is the will to live and the will to survive and like the will uh, and the hope that you, you will make it out alive. Absolutely. Wow. And I think it's kind of funny, like if someone approached me at the door or on the phone or whatever um, and uh, you, you came with that attitude thinking, um, well, there, this person has got to be uh, the person to buy just based off the law of averages. Uh, and then you came with that attitude approaching me and I would think, well, this person seems to think that I should buy. Does that mean I should buy? And then Does that mean my like, neighbors have been buying too? Yeah, Am I the only one that's not going to have a bot today? And I'm thinking to myself, like, I guess, well, this person seems to think I should buy. Maybe should I, should I buy? Wow, that's a really interesting way of going about it. It helps out a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And so I guess the positive attitude would probably be like, the number one tip that you would give someone, right? 100%. Wow. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you're around. When you go home, um, if you're by yourself, or we'll say when you're by yourself, the only thing you're really left with is your own attitude. Mm -hmm. So you can be around amazing people that pick you up all day, but there's going to be a moment when it's just you grinding through a problem that's at times going to seem tremendously large to the point where you might be in the back of your head thinking like, this problem's going to crush me. But if you approach that problem with a positive mindset, knowing that, okay, this is not going to be easy, but I can get through mm -hmm. this. And I might go through, get through this with some scars on me, but I'm just going to be a better person at the other end. You'd be surprised. Nine times out of ten, you'll probably get through that. Oh. So, what would you say is your biggest struggle? Then we talked about, you know, um, uh, you you being able to uh, overcome the nose with that positive attitude. What would you say uh, is the biggest struggle that you've had to overcome in your past? Um, hmm. Now, is would you say is this like a work related, uh, entrepreneur related or, or just in general? I, I guess it could be, yeah, either life or career. Okay. Um, so I guess, I mean, if you have one for each, then that would be cool sure, too. I, I can just share with you all my personal. Yeah. Well, yeah not, excellent. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll go until uh, the we'll card share runs. the list at the end of this. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it until <laughs> the cards run out. I don't know. Or the batteries. Yeah. We'll see. Biggest struggle. Okay. Um, hmm. There's definitely been a few, um, just off the top of my head. 
one of the struggles that I had, especially with Epicator, is are you familiar with imposter syndrome? Yes. Okay. So I struggle with that by quite a bit because mm-hmm. I'm not traditionally educated, mm-hmm. and I I know saying good business acumen can be very general, but it also can be very specific to some. I would have categorized myself as not having any business acumen. Um, when I first started the company, my background was 100% in sales. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like I had a, a an MBA in something. I couldn't even look at a profit and loss sheet. I, I knew what the final number on the very bottom of that sheet meant, meant yeah. but how that was calculated and everything else on it, did not understand. Mm-hmm. And I and I realized that, or I found myself as a business grew and I was dealing with anything for anyone from a potential investor to uh, a new employee to a colleague that I had a lot of knowledge gaps and it constantly made me think like, maybe I'm just lucky and I lucked out on this, but I'm not the right person to be doing this. And I struggled with that for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And I guess how that struggle came out is just lack of confidence with my colleagues and even with myself. Um, a, really simplistic problem if you want to call it that might have might come up but i would take forever trying to think about it think of every angle and then mm-hmm. realize that maybe maybe i'm too dumb to solve this problem and that there's a smarter person out there mm-hmm. and then it took some time but i realized that hey i got to start from somewhere right. um maybe feeling this way as an imposter is better than being overconfident because wouldn't want to fall on my own sword or make a bad, arrogant decision. Mm -hmm. But I also realized that not being confident Mm -hmm. is also going to eventually lead to my downfall. Uh, I'd be paralyzed by options and never Mm -hmm. choosing one. So, um, I'm, you know, even to this day, I'm still overcoming it. Uh, right. It's been getting much better. And I've had amazing colleagues that I work with that, uh, remind me that I'm, uh, not as bad as I think I am sometimes. <laughs> so that obviously helps as well. Wow. So yeah, I guess you really have to do figure out how to strike that balance between, you know, being uh, uh, just, you know, confident enough, but not to the point of, um, you know, uh, delusional and overestimating or, uh, you know, overguessing, but you also don't want to be uh, underestimating yourself and, uh, you know, doubting every decision and you become paralyzed and you don't do anything. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think, uh, and I guess um, that that's something that you're still overcoming, right? So you, you find that, uh, like, what would you f- say is the, the biggest part in helping you sort of overcome that? Is You said, you mentioned uh, your... Uh, Probably your, autobiographies your, your, your and, yeah. and, and books that talk about other people's lives and the, the struggles they have. And even, honestly, if I listen to more podcasts, maybe even like this, oh, and realizing that other people fall into the same category. There's something so oddly relieving of knowing that someone is has mm-hmm. is just as fucked up as you are wow is, isn't it relieving yeah yeah well <laughs> you guys you guys heard it here first uh that means you guys should be definitely following the podcast for every episode that comes out i guess that's just a law now it's it's a fact that um uh that being inspired helps you uh helps you do great things and also like uh and i, and I find that this is not it's being talked about more but it was definitely not talked about back in the day Mm -hmm. is the negative aspects of starting a business and the trials and tribulations. I I found at the time that all I got was the glorified tidbits that sound amazing when the individual overcomes it, Mm -hmm. but you know the end of the story. It's like watching a movie where you know that the protagonist is going to come out a hero. Mm -hmm. So the middle part of the movie, they're dangling off the cliff. You already know they're going to survive it. So when it's you dangling off the cliff, you don't know you're going to survive it. Right. 
So you're constantly second guessing yourself or when you're right. fighting that boss fight, if you may, in your own life, which could be an inner demon. It could be uh, something metaphorical or hopefully you're not fighting actual people. Right. <laughs> but maybe it is. Um, you don't really know if you're going to come out on top mm-hmm. and you could go into it with 100% of phony confidence, uh, which might work against you because mm-hmm. uh, you overestimate right. the problem. Of course. Or you come at it with no confidence mm-hmm. and then the problem crushes mm-hmm. you or you realize that, you know what, even if I lose at this, what's important is I learn something from it and I do it again until I win. Wow. Yeah, that's like definitely basically the whole point of me making this podcast is uh, to to really inspire those people, uh, you know, when you're, you, you feel like you're in in the trenches and you feel like um, you're drowning and there's no way out. Um, it, it's good to know that other people have made, made it out and um, you, can, you can look to them as an example. And that's why I wanted to do it with people who are also um, early on in their careers. It's, it's not, because um, then, you know, you're still close enough in, in years that you're still uh, attached and you, you still remember like the, uh, the wounds are still uh, a little bit fresh or, yes. and, and you're still going through a few of those battles. You're wounds. still a human at that point. Yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not, you haven't reached God status. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, um, interviewing a, a retiree who, who, um, who, who founded a, a successful, uh, company and, and, you know, it has now since retired. Uh, it's someone who's still going through that, the, the early trenches. So, um, yeah, thank you for summarizing. Oh, thank you. You're doing great work yeah. for, right. for many people, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Um, you guys heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> Keep following the he podcast. He paid me $20 to yeah. say that. <laughs> Shh. Uh, I'll send you the e-transfer later. <laughs> um, so what is, a, what is a typical day or, or week in, in the life of, of David uh, look like here at uh, Epicator? That's a good question. So um, I always have a hard time answering that question because uh, I try to stay away from doing the same thing over and over again. Right. But, like I, real- mentioned, yeah. but I realize that, uh, or I'm starting to realize that uh, an aspect of being a good executive uh, um, is to have some routine uh, that's predictable, that leads to an outcome that obviously betters the group that you're working with and the organization and yourself. So mm-hmm. a typical day starts, uh, I guess, with me waking up. That's always a good thing when you wake mm-hmm. up. That's right. how you know that you're having a good day already. Right. Because if you don't wake up, you're already screwed. Yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, usually in the morning, what I'll do is I'll have breakfast, catch up on news, um, I try my best not to watch too much news. I want to get myself into a positive mental right. mind frame <laughs> and I find the news can be quite negative Yes, uh, at times and I, yes. lose up, I use up at least 5 to 10% of my energies formulating opinions so I try to stay away from yes. that. <laughs> um, on my way, usually uh, on a Sunday, I'll get all my goals done for the whole week. I find that helps out tremendously. There's still some Sundays I don't do that mm-hmm. and I find that when I have my goals for the week mapped out, not to a point where they're not flexible, but just a general idea at the very least, is I feel like I'm running the week more so than the week running me mm-hmm. and I'm able to have a better idea of what I want to accomplish that day. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really think about is what do I want to get done today? What would make today a successful day if I got these one or three things done and nothing else? Because mm-hmm. as everyone knows, such as in work as in life, is your inbox is never empty. And I've many times I've gone through that feeling where I've been super productive, but at the end of the day, I feel like I really haven't done anything mm-hmm. or I haven't gone any closer to my goal. I just did stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's really important for me. Once I get to the office, um, First thing I do is usually ask how everyone's mornings are going, if there's people here ahead of me. Uh, usually there's people that get here much earlier than I do because they're more of a morning people than I am. Right. Um, I catch up on my emails uh, right away in the morning. 
Um, usually I'll have a few meetings booked at some point. If it's a Monday, we have something called our leadership sync where myself and fellow leaders in the company get together and we set goals within ourselves and people goals within our teams of um, individuals that we want to work with to improve and maybe just help them with their projects. Mm -hmm. um, and then my weeks are so dynamic that uh, they're usually different every single day. Wow. So if it's not meetings, I'm visiting right. a customer. Um, usually lunchtime is our busiest time of the day because we're doing a lot of fulfillment at that right. period. So Makes I sense. try my best to visit a client. We call overseeing to make sure right. that their experience is as good as possible. That right. is so easy not to do when your business starts to get successful. It's mm -hmm. so easy not to talk to your customers anymore because yes. you start to get to this mindset where you, you feel like you know what they want, but such as, as life and people, People change what they want, so yep. I try my best to, to stay relevant in their eyes and learn about any evolving problems, challenges, or right. even shortcomings of our service. Mm. Um, and then towards the end of the evening, I usually get back to emails, wind my day down. I'm trying to implement this policy where I respond to every email I get by the end of the day. Mm. I always admire those people that are way more busier than me, mm. but always respond to me the same day. I don't know how they do it. And some of them don't have personal assistance. So I can't even make that excuse. So uh, I'm trying to get I think uh, speech to text, I think they're probably just using that. That might help a little bit. Is that the secret? Bit. I, yeah, I, I find that when I do speech to text, I, I type a lot faster. And, so and it makes the email I'm, more pleasant? Um, in terms yeah, of it like, makes it more conversational. Yeah. Um, but I, I do that a lot for when I'm trying to think, uh, jot down notes. You know, I'm, I'm in the middle of something else and then an idea pops in my head. I, don't, uh, I have like a whole idea fleshed out, but I don't want to type it because I type yeah. so much slower with my thumbs or with my hands so I just Jeez. say it out Pro loud. Pro tip guys. Yeah, yeah. Speech to text guys. I'm try you that. Should, yeah, you should I try don't it usually out. do it for text. I'd never do it for emails. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm missing an opportunity there. Yeah, yeah. I think because, uh, you know, you, especially for those emails that you do want to see more conversational. Yeah. It, it's More personable too. Yeah, it's definitely going to sound like what you talk like if you talk, uh, you know, speech to text. Yeah. Okay. And cool. it's even better, I guess, for the people that talk only in corporate speak all the time because yes. you don't even know the difference when they email you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it saves them time. Yeah. Um, great. Uh, so, you know, you, met, you had mentioned um, uh, how you and your, your leadership team uh, will get together and discuss uh, different goals that you guys uh, have. Uh, do you, like, what is the, the, the short-term goals uh, that you, you have for the next six to 12 months or so uh, for yourself and also for Epicator? So there's the, the typical ones, which uh, involve growth, um, making our customers happier currently, mm -hmm. and building the technical component. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of give everybody a little bit of an idea where we are at, uh, we're still technically a startup, uh, despite uh, growing the way we have. Um, one thing that we've done really well is the sales component, uh, and we're looking to improve that even more now. Uh, but one aspect that we can come and go sometimes is constantly having the conversation about how can we be better to our current customers. Right. What we f used to find is that we would nail every check box item on a customer's want list mm -hmm. and then the conversation would stop sometimes. Right. And then we'd re revisit it maybe six months down the road when people's check boxes can change quite frequently. Right. So um, one thing that we're always asking ourselves is A, how can we make our customers happy happier than they are now right. and B, how can we measure that? So right. that's what we follow is something called OKRs, which are objectives and key results. Okay. I believe those were created by a gentleman by the name of John Doerr and implemented by Google. That's objectives where it became and key famous. Results. And what makes that really unique, I guess, as a project management tool is it's really simplistic and it's an easy way it's not easy actually. I should <laughs> take that back. Nothing's really that easy. Um, it's a 
It's a it's more, straight, it's straight more straightforward forward, way yeah. of implement of aligning the company, the entire organization as to what you're working on. So what you do is you create okay. overarching objectives that the company's focused on, and those are usually somewhat general. Mm-hmm. And then they drill down to more specific by department and even more specific by individual. So essentially right. departments are creating goals off of the top level objectives and then individuals are creating goals off the department's objectives. Mm-hmm. And the goal is, is that the, is the key result, which is how do you know we've accomplished this objective is if I meet all these key results, that's how I know I've accomplished that right. objective. So that's obviously a topic of discussion during our leadership meetings as well. Okay. One thing that we're really starting to do a little bit more frequently is f- learning a identifying ways that we can improve not only ourselves, but the people we work with. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so easy for us to just focus on the product, the service. Um, Hey, that's business, right? Right. But what about the, the, the humans working in that business? Mm -hmm. You know, what's our commitment to improving them? Right. And, um, that has come and gone, mm-hmm. uh, and we're looking at ways of making that much more consistent. Right. So that's a, a big topic of discussion okay. also in our leadership meetings. Okay. Um, but you did mention that you, you do um, uh, like attend to uh, like o- oversee um, uh, the uh, client operations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, some other uh, uh, founders of startups or um, yeah operators of startups still do that too i think the guy uh who founded doordash still delivers oh that's cool and, and he still yeah he wants to know what the drivers are experiencing and yes. then what the customer experience is and because he's not like a super well-known guy i guess he it's not like he gets super recognized yeah um so and he yeah, probably gets mad respect from his team for doing that yeah yeah and and it i think it just makes uh it just makes sense research wise so, so that you know what's going on uh, i guess uh almost like playing an undercover boss kind of it is and you can also empathize with multiple layers in your company right it's so easy and i and i can only imagine the behemoth task it is for larger companies Mm -hmm. it's so easy to get yourself into a bubble right being at the office getting all your intel from individuals who got their intel from individuals who got their intel from the customer or maybe from another layer of individual Mm -hmm. and i think everyone at some point's played the game broken telephone it's so easy for that to get distorted right but you know what's not distorted is getting on a bicycle, delivering a meal, and hearing yeah. feedback from the customer directly. Yeah. Very, sometimes the simplest answer is the best answer. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. And so we that's your short-term goal. What's your longer-term goal? Like five, ten years down the Longer-term yeah, goal. Yeah. Good question. I've never been really good at setting long-term goals. Usually those are the lowest in resolution mm-hmm. on my goal sheet. Um, long-term goal would be getting Epicator to a point where we're at least saturated across North America mm-hmm. and in a position where we can grow this company to last mm-hmm. or at some point exit. Mm-hmm. Probably the answer is both. So one thing I'm really big on and the executive team's really big on is not just building a company up super fast and then exiting. Mm-hmm. It's building a sustainable company where everyone within that organization is living and meeting a, a very good standard um, and being mindful of that as we grow, uh, as opposed just to try to get as much companies in the door as possible, accepting some really high churn amount, right. and but thinking, well, as long as we're growing, that's still acceptable. Right. So um, that really has us looking at multiple mm-hmm. facets of the mm-hmm. company, as opposed just to the growth, I guess the growth odometer, if you may. Right. There's now five other odometers that we have to balance out. Right. I guess what makes setting five-year goals with high resolution hard is that a lot can change. And I love being flexible. 
I like the ability right. to be able to set a target and not necessarily change the target just willy nilly. Right. But if I get new Intel in a year from now that mm -hmm. says what I'm currently doing is actually not the best way of doing things, right. I'll change my long-term goal. Right. Okay. So then what would you like to be uh, known for? What would you like Epicator to be known for? And what would you personally like to be known for? Like Tombstone, what would you, you know, this goes on your gravestone. What would Jeez, you- Jeez, what a question. <laughs> Oh, um, I seem to stump a lot of people with this question. Yeah, that's a really good question. Would it be kind of weird if I already had the answer to it? Maybe yeah, I should. Maybe yeah. I should have the answer to it yeah, already. Yeah, maybe. Uh, what would I really like to be known? I mean, this could change. Um, you know, in 10 years, you could totally change your answer. 10 days, you can totally change your answer. I don't care necessarily if, if people don't always like me, mm -hmm. but what is really important to me is that people feel and think that they've been treated fairly by mm. me. So that's really important for me. Um, and I usually put that through the filter on a lot of decisions and things right. that I do. Um, and it's not just with building Epicator. Oh, also with that. Yeah. For example, like our vendor partners, mm -hmm. we don't make any of the food ourselves here. So essentially like a platform that is just building the tech tool mm -hmm. is that they're really relying a lot on their vendor partners mm -hmm. that are actually making the product that's being delivered to the right. customer. So it's really important to me that even our vendor partners feel that you know, they might not like us all the time, but that they feel that they're being treated very fairly by us. Right. So that way, if they went to our tomb, my tombstone in the future, I'd like to think some people would have amazing fond memories. Right. But I also like to think that maybe the people that didn't like me very much, you know, at least it could say that I did them right. Yeah. Maybe they didn't like my shirt, you know, <laughs> at my least smile. They, yeah. <laughs> maybe sometimes they wanted to punch me in the face. But one thing that they can never not say is that I did not treat them well. Okay. Never Excellent. not say. Yeah, I think that's excellent. That'd... Excellent. Wow. All righty. So, um, what would one uh, thing that you would just like to say, uh, maybe a piece of advice, Peter, piece of uh, parting wisdom that you would like to give uh, to all the, the show listeners, uh, whether they want to uh, become a salesperson, whether they want to start their own catering company, whether they want to do something entirely different? Um, what's that piece of advice that you would give to someone? Um, perhaps a younger you. Yes. Piece of advice. Um, huh. Uh, you're assuming that I'm wise. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would assume you're wiser than five years ago, you. Yes, I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so piece of advice. Um, if I could give my younger self, it would be that uh, don't get too worked up over the challenge and tribulations. Mm -hmm. I I personally always compared my own growth to everyone else around me. Mm -hmm. And by virtue of doing that, I've never been on track to meeting my own growth goals. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be a millionaire by 25. I remember telling my old boss who was really well, did really well for himself, mm -hmm. said something stupid. I said like, if I'm not a millionaire by 25, I'll kill myself. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> what a stupid statement, eh? Uh, but I guess what was important about that statement to me at the time is that it was so important for mm -hmm. me to be on that goal. And, and then when you ask yourself, why 25? Like such an abstract number. Well, it's because I looked at other 25-year-olds in magazines that are doing mm -hmm. quite well and I wanted to get to their level. And that was my focus I obsessed on. And what I, what I left behind was all the learning opportunities that came with mm -hmm. everything. And I often find myself, uh, more so before than now, is I'd go through trials and tribulations to try to achieve this goal. And then whether I achieved it or not, I didn't enjoy the ride as it went. And it was only until later on that I looked back at these challenges I went through and said, wow, these were actually great moments in my mm -hmm. life. 
at the time I was stressed as heck, but retrospectively, I wish I enjoyed them more. So mm -hmm. I guess if I could give any imparting wisdom, and this is so much easier said than done, obviously, is that when you're going through challenges, especially if they're self-imposed, even if they're not, and you have that positive mental attitude and you're working through them, know that things are eventually going to get better. And one day you're going to look back upon those and you're going to miss them in a weird messed up way. It's the same thing mm -hmm. like I read once when uh, an article about why people often cry and break down when they get to the top of Mount Everest. And it's not often about them being happy. I, I, what I read a lot of the time is the realization that all that hard work that they put to get there is now done. They got mm -hmm. it. Now what? And then right. I guess it creates a void in them where they're like, well, what's my next challenge? Right. And they realize that all those days they went hungry, all those uncomfortable nights they slept on the side of the mountain were actually quite good. Mm -hmm. That's that's what made the whole journey worth it. Right. But when you look at those by themselves, it just looks like an ends to a means. Right. In reality, that's what makes it all worth it. Right. So I try to look at that now. And, you know, there's, I'm sure, still existential crises that are going to come my way. There's right. still major challenges that are right. going to come up. And sometimes I'm going to forget my own advice and I'm going to, you know, freak out again. But when I do remember my own advice, I find that when those challenges come up, A, they're not that big of a challenge. And B, is I know that no matter what, I'm going to look back on this and it's going to be a cool story that I'm going to tell someone else. So I better at least try to enjoy as much of it as I possibly can. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, um, you know, looking back uh, at at how far you've come, so uh, so often it's it's difficult for us, you know, while we're still in the trenches to to look back just to see what we have accomplished. Um, what would you say? Uh, just you know, uh, give your share your two cents on on looking back at at uh, at your uh, past up until now. Um, two cents on what I've been able to accomplish in yeah, my past yeah. up until now. Um, so here's a weird thing, I guess, about it with me, and it's where I need to take my own advice. Um, I often don't even look back at my own oh, okay. progression. I'm so focused on what's next. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually think that's a really missed opportunity because if I actually did celebrate some of my wins um, and look to see my progression, I think that I'd be much more thankful yeah. of the situation that I'm in. Yeah. And I think it would bring me more happiness in a way and less mental stress. Mm -hmm. Because when you're always setting your eye on, on the prize, and I think in most things, the prize is always moving. Yeah. So it's like a moving target. It doesn't yeah. stand there. Like you mentioned with the Mount Everest thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a mountain that keeps growing. Yeah, or yeah. the question is, is the next mountain? Yeah, yeah. So right. you don't realize that maybe you, you, you don't really, I at least don't spend a lot of time, you know, lavishing on the top. I just get my picture. I pack myself mm -hmm. up and I head down to the base. Mm -hmm. And then I start talking with my co-climber, if you right. call them. Do you call them co-mountaineer? Co I, I don't know, man. It's not like co-founder. Okay. Yeah, I've never then gone I talk to climbing. <laughs> I talk to my mountaineering partner about the next mountain. I'd be showing them pictures on my iPhone and stuff. When in reality, I should probably just be enjoying what I just did, mm -hmm. uh, reflecting on it. And maybe even take some months to just really think about how far I've come and how lucky I am to mm -hmm. have even have been on that adventure and not saying never climb another mountain again. I'm not, not advocating that, right. but taking more time to appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So then I hope you can take this as an opportunity to, uh, to like just remind yourself to, to sometimes just be thankful of how far you've, you've come. You're right about that, Anton. And I definitely need to do that a little bit more, I think. Yeah. Well, excellent. I think that's a perfect way to uh, wrap up the, uh, the podcast uh, is uh, so how, how can we uh, find you? Uh, how can all the wonderful listeners at home uh, find all about uh, you and uh, what you're doing here with Epicator? Uh, I guess they can look me up online, uh, add me on LinkedIn or on Facebook. Um, if they want any advice, is it okay if I can maybe give my cell phone number? 
Is that was that a? Um, I mean, it's. Why don't you give uh, a, a, an email and email? And some, okay, and how some about social that? media? There we go. I think some, that would be. Uh, I don't have. To, I, I don't really update my Twitter very often, so I'd love to be able to be cool and say follow me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can uh, friend me on Facebook, or you can send me an email. Uh, it's a little corny. It's believe, behave, become at gmail dot com. Uh, as in, if you believe you can do something and you behave like that something or someone that you want to become, you'll eventually become them. Mm-hmm. Kind of corny, I know. But if you send me an email, um, as long as you're not a complete weirdo um mm-hmm. i would love to grab a coffee with you and if even if you're a little weird even better uh, i'm a little weird too so um that that would i would like to help out wherever i can i'm a little, a little limited in my knowledge because like you said yourself i'm still going through the trenches and right. there's a lot i need to learn so unfortunately i can't be anyone else's guru but uh what i can do is uh listen and help wherever i can if uh if, if that's needed awesome well thank you so much for being on the show david thank you so much thank you for having me and thanks for listening hey guys thanks so much for listening to the show uh if you enjoyed it please do share it with your friends and make sure that you guys are subscribed and following the podcast on whichever uh distribution platform you're listening to it on and please if you like it be sure to leave a comment or a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever. You can follow me at Anton Wong Video, uh, and you can uh, send me some comments on uh, on those platforms as well, on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much once again for listening. See you guys.